RadioInfluence.com. You are sitting ringside with David Penzer on Radio Influence. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of City Ringside. My name is David Penzer. As always, we're so happy that you are here to listen to this thing we call a podcast. And we are always happy to be here for you, but not happy to have learned earlier today as we taped this that uh, one of the biggest legends in the history of professional wrestling, eight-time world heavyweight champion, and I'm sure you know the news already, Harley Race passed away after a long battle with lung cancer. He was 76 years old. He was an eight-time world heavyweight champion, winning the first his first world championship from Dory Funk Jr., and ironically, then winning the second world championship from Terry Funk. So the only man, I believe, to beat both Funk brothers for NWA heavyweight title reigns. And for you guys who don't know, uh, you know, this was not uh, current wrestling where titles change hands on a regular basis. These guys had eight, ten-year runs, four-year runs, six-year runs. So when a title changed hands, it was a big deal, a huge deal. And um, and his last uh, reign ended in 1983 at the first Starcade in uh, North Carolina when he passed the torch to Nature Boy Ric Flair. I got to know Harley and his wife, BJ, who had passed away many years ago. And I know Harley's really never been the same uh, since she passed away. She was his rock. And um, I think he was kind of lost without her. But a wonderful woman. He's a tremendous guy. I'll tell the story later that I had put on Twitter when we talked to J.J. Dillon later on about uh about my father and how cool he thought it was the things that I got to do with Harley Race and WCW but uh one of the toughest guys around he never took advantage of it but uh but but he you always knew uh how tough he was I remember you know we talk about the dungeon in Atlanta the uh place with all the crazy parties after the matches in Atlanta we've talked about that a couple times and I remember he went through about a six-month phase where he had a taser and uh like I don't even know if they still have them but it looked like almost like a wrench and a little bolt would shoot through when you press the button and he went through a little phase where he would just walk around the bar tasing everybody in the rear and it didn't I mean it didn't it hurt like you know it it shook you up but it didn't it made you jump but it like didn't knock you out or anything i guess if he'd have done it to you you know in a different body part but uh so you'd see people flip-flopping all over the bar over two bar tables drinks knocking over harley would just laugh like a little baby he thought it was the funniest thing and he was equal opportunity with that taser he tased me as just as much as he tased uh leon white vader and uh so uh, that's just an example of, of Harley Race, a kid at heart, but one of the toughest guys. I was honored to know him. Uh, was not unexpected that he passed, but uh, very sad. He's one one of the, you know, there's, you talk about people in this business and how many legends there are, and there are. There are a ton of legends. And, uh, but there's a special echelon, a special group of legends. And, I would say like uh, Harley Race would be, if you're a rock and roll, classic rock and roll fan, I'd say like Harley Race would be one of the Beatles or one of the Rolling Stones. That's that's how high up he was as a performer uh, and as a champion, how he carried himself all around the world, uh, defending a belt that at the time 
uh, meant so much uh, more than it does now. And that's not a knock on what's going on now. It's just a different time and a different era. It is what it is. But he he carried that torch and he, with respect and honor and professionalism. And it was an honor for me to get to know him. And I will miss him tremendously. We originally had uh, WWE Hall of Famer Robert Gibson, one half of the Rock and Roll Express, scheduled to be on. And uh, so I uh, called the uh, boss, Mr. P. Tuck, sitting right here. And I said, uh, what if I could get some great storytellers on in two hours notice? And he said, do you think you can? I said, I can only try. So... uh, so we decided to change it to a tribute show for Harley, talk about Harley, and tell some stories and toss some stories about the good old territorial days as well uh, that Harley Race was a big part of as the world touring world heavyweight champion. And so we were lucky enough to get um, two old reliables, two friends of the show, J.J. Dillon and Kevin Sullivan, both great storytellers, both students of the business who have been in the business, who have been influential in the business, who uh, have studied the business and um, and who know Harley Race quite well uh, or knew Harley Race quite well. So uh, I called them. Uh, thank, I want to thank them for both picking up immediately and both committing to do uh, this podcast and talk about Harley Race in just a sh- several short hours later. And also want to thank Robert Gibson for uh, being kind enough to step aside and we will have him on next week. So if you have any questions about Robert Gibson, the rock and roll express, uh, be sure to tweet those to at David Penzer or at Penzer ringside, but we're going to dedicate this show, just telling some stories with Kevin and JJ about a true legend, a true man and a true hero in this wrestling business that we just lost. Harley race. This is for you. Folks, we're paying tribute to Harley Race, who passed away this past Thursday, actually the day that we're taping this at the age of 76, eight-time NWA World Heavyweight Champion and one of the toughest guys. And my next guest would probably know this uh, much more than I would, and I appreciate your time hopping on with short notice. Uh, One of the best storytellers and the best minds in professional wrestling. I'm talking about uh, our old friend Kevin Sullivan. Kevin, welcome. I wish we were talking under better circumstances. Yeah, I do too. Uh, this, David, in case people don't know it, and maybe I'm telling you something that maybe you don't know. This is definitely an end of an era. Yep. Holly was the last guy that had to be a tough guy to hold the belt. Now, Holly wasn't a great amateur wrestler, but he was one of the toughest guys in the wrestling business. And back at that time, you know, you look back, there was Jack Briscoe, uh, amateur wrestler, Dory, an amateur wrestler, Terry, a football player and wrestler, uh, Luthez, Dick Hutton, uh, everybody that had been the world champion, NWA world champion, had to be able to protect themselves in case there was some double crosses back then, you know what I mean? Yes. Uh, uh, so, Holly was the last of the legitimate champions, I think. Not saying that he could beat everybody. He, I don't think he could beat Luthez or all that, but he was very, very tough. And I saw her episode one time is the uh, lounge still there on Hillsboro. Uh, 
there was a lounge on Hillsborough and uh, I think Armenia. And uh, I don't think I don't think it's yeah, I don't think it's, Barry. You Warren, know which one I'm talking about? Barry Rose would know the name, but no, I don't think it's there anymore. No, no, Jerry, Jerry, <laughs> yeah. my my producer said it's long gone. Yeah, well, every, all the guys used to go in there, the hills after Tuesday night. And I remember one night that uh, Ali was there, and there was a couple of big guys around. And, uh, you know, it gets to be, they start talking wrestling, how are you at uh, arm wrestling? And Holly tried to shoot them off. Of course, they circled back and they started again. So Holly says to the guy, okay, you want to arm wrestle? Arm wrestle. So they sit at the table, they put their arms, hands together, lock in, and Holly says, are you ready? The guy said, yeah. Holly threw a left and knocked his block <laughs> off, knocked him right out. The other, the other guy comes charging, Holly hit him with the right, knocked him out. Then there's a whole swarm of them, and it looked like... Holly was Davy Crockett at the Alamo, and he's piling them up. And then this guy came up behind Harley, and Harley didn't see him, and he had a knife. And Stan Lane, one of the nicest going guys you'd ever want to meet, grabbed this, you know those glass ashtrays? Because everybody used to smoke in the bars back then. He grabbed the ashtray and hit the guy in the head the guy's head opened like a watermelon and uh, he called Eddie Graham that night and Eddie said get in the car and leave even with Eddie's pull he couldn't uh, save Stan he, that guy went out of the ambulance by the time the cops came there they arrested everybody but Holly you know, Stan had left uh, Holly was very very tough and as a performer he was so credible. You know, you look at how he sold. Uh, Holly was starting for, he was almost like the start of the big bumps for big guys. You know, big guys didn't take a lot of bumps back in those days, but Holly would take the big bumps. And one thing is about Holly, when he, he took a bump off the top rope, it looked like a, uh, giant redwood falling, and the yep. way he fell, it was spectacular. And uh, it was like slow motion, he, right? Yeah, absolutely, Dave. It was like that's a great analogy. It was like everything was in slow motion, and when he dove off the top rope, it was like in slow motion. It looked like he was had hang time, and uh, you know, I I got to see matches with. Him and Briscoe, him and Ric Flair, him and Terry, him and Dory. I mean, those guys in that time period. And he had great matches with Dusty, too. Yep. A uh, little bit more more uh, hardcore than the wrestling with the other guys. But in that era, I mean, all those guys matched up so well against each other. It didn't matter if it was Dory against Jack or Jack against Harley or Dusty against Terry. They all had this special quality. And each one of them's matched was completely different when they were matched up with another opponent. So it wasn't a choreographed 
World Championship match, and I, I, I'm not so sure we're going to ever see that era or era, style in that era ever again. Speaking of that bar fight, you might have just solved a riddle for me. Uh, is that why Stan Lane and Brian St. John uh, left the territory like uh, uh, in a hurry? Overnight. Because, yeah, because overnight. you know, I, I get, um, I'm, I'm, you know, Barry Rose, who's my partner in the CWF Fan Fest, he has a uh, Facebook page, Championship Wrestling from Florida, and every day he puts up, like, results going back to the 1930s and 40s from all the CWF matches, uh, which I grew up watching, not in the 30s and 40s, but but uh, 70s and <laughs> 80s. But, uh, but if you look at them and you look at some of the programs, there seems to be about a week where those guys just disappeared. They were all booked and they were in right. a program and they disappeared and like you know they sent a couple uh, prelim guys to take their places so i always wondered why they left in such a hurry and now we we find out the question uh stan lane almost killed somebody find with the, the answer yeah, that's yeah you, you often do uh kevin did you ever get to wrestle harley uh, either for the world title or just wrestle him uh, yeah i got to wrestle him a couple of times and uh you know Back then, David, as you, you know, you from Florida, it was very seldom that a heel wrestled another heel. Right. And But uh, when I did wrestle him, I think it was 1977, I came back for a short period, and I was a babyface, and I wrestled him on TV. And I wrestled him in uh, Jacksonville in a tag match. Um. When you were, I believe, doing creative in WCW, I don't think you were the, the booker for Nitro yet, but when you were doing creative, I know they put him with Vader. Were you involved with that at all? No, that was before uh, I got there. I was in Japan at the time. And I'm going to tell you, I have to admire Leon because Leon stuck, stuck up for Holly on a couple of occasions because they didn't realize, as you know, you were there. They didn't realize what a monumental figure Holly was in the wrestling business. And uh, I actually thought Holly added to Vader quite a bit. I thought it was perfect. And I also thought that when he was Lex, it was very good for Lex. Any truth to, and I don't know if you know this or not, but any truth to the rumor that they put Harley with uh, with Vader to sort of calm him down and teach him the the rules of the road, so to speak? I think so. I, I don't know that for a uh, fact, but it wouldn't surprise me whatever. And Holly, as you know, Holly had an explosive temper, but he knew how to control it, and he knew he would try to get out of a situation as best he could. But he was also the world heavyweight champion. And back in those days, you know, people got punched and they jumped wrestlers and there was no lawsuits. But I think he was trying to help Leon because Leon, God bless him, he was a, I always got around famously with Leon, but he had a brutal temper. So I think that putting Harley with him actually helped him. Yeah, I agree, and I, I think I remember that hearing that. Um, I, 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 you hear stories about his amazing. I think was it thumb strength or hand strength? Yeah, his hand strength and thumb was amazing. When I was, I mean, when he would grip you, 
you, you you weren't going anywhere. Your hand, your. I remember one time the time I did work with him on TV, he, he would fool around, you know, and he grabbed me by my wrist, uh, and I thought, whoa, how would I get out of this? I mean, and he had such power. David, did you ever notice how big his hands were? I actually didn't. He had huge hands, not as big as Mulligan, but in that category. And he had knuckles covers. And I can see when he punched somebody why they didn't get up, you know. He was a very, very tough guy, tough guy. And I think the wrestling world has lost another uh, one of the brightest stars and my, my condolences to his family. Well, I appreciate your t- time hopping on uh, on a moment's notice and giving your thoughts and uh, story remembrances of Harley Race. And uh, uh, I will catch you down the road, my friend, and uh, hope all is yes, well with I you. Yes, I will. All right. God bless. Everything's great. You too. So, ladies and gentlemen, as you know, we are paying tribute to one of the legendary wrestlers of our era, uh, Harley Race has passed away at the age of 76 and um, after a long battle with uh, cancer, I believe, and uh, wanted to get some quote unquote friends of the show and wrestling uh, storytellers to talk about uh, their experiences with Harley. So JJ Dillon, uh, always great to have you. I could have you. I could do a podcast with you every week uh, with all the the knowledge and the the, the storytelling ability you have. But uh, hate to talk to you under these circumstances. But thank you for hopping on and talking about your memories of Harley Race. Yeah, it's kind of a sad sad uh, circumstances, but um, I look at it as uh, you know this. We can look at it as a as a Harley Race tribute. Absolutely, absolutely, 100%. Um, so uh, t- tell me, I know you go way back um, uh, into, into uh, Jersey in the uh, the 1960s in your career. If, if anybody's not heard, by the way, just as an aside, I think you've been on twice or three times. If anybody's not heard those podcasts, uh, I, I urge you to go to the archives and listen to them. It's an incredible story told by an incredible storyteller about an incredible career. Uh, somebody who's a wrestling fan, uh, manager, wrestler, uh, Hall of Famer, and uh, behind-the-scenes uh, office uh, person. So, uh, so pimp you up a little bit, JJ. <laughs> <All right. laughs> okay. Yeah, I've been, I've been around a long time. Is there anything <laughs> I'm saying that's not true? Oh, you know, I appreciate all the compliments and the accolades and like you say, what it comes down to is uh, I've been around a long time and been fortunate enough to meet a lot of great people and uh, especially many of the legends. And this is always a, a, a difficult time uh, when we lose one of the icons. And especially uh, I, I was around Harley so much and knew him. so, And we're the same age. So, uh, you know, nobody's uh, immortal. You know, our time is going to come. We just don't know when or what the circumstances are. But, um, you know, I this is part of it is uh, we lose somebody like a Harley race and as sad a moment as it is, um, you know, 
we, we owe it to the wrestling fans and, and we owe it to the memory of Harley Race to, uh, to talk with fondness about his great career and, and, and those of us that were fortunate enough to interact with him. And uh, I was around Harley quite a bit, uh, not only in, not so much in St. Louis, because even though he was from Kansas City, St. Louis, and, and was a part of the ownership with Bob Geigel and with Pat O'Connor, uh, he was a world champion for much of that time. So when I was there, uh, didn't see Harley that much. I saw more of him when uh, he would come to Florida or actually uh, spent quite a bit of time with him in, in Japan as well. Uh, we had Kevin Sullivan on earlier, and I know he's a good friend of yours and a, and a good friend of the show. He said that he thinks that this is the end of an era, meaning that the Luthezes, the Jack Briscoes, the Dory Funks, the Terry Funks, uh, i.e. the world champions who could either uh, either legitimate tough guys or could uh, amateur wrestle because there was always a worry about somebody trying to 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 – uh, steal the belt, uh, and, and he said that he thought this was the end of the era, that Harley was the last one. Would you agree with that? That's probably a really valid point. That uh, And Kevin Sullivan is, is a very close friend, and he's a, a student of the business, and he, like me, has he's been everywhere and interacted with everybody and has had a relationship with all the greats. Uh, much as I have, so he can he can speak as an authority, and you know the number uh, it does get it does get smaller and smaller because my roots, as with Kevin, Harley, and the other names you mentioned, you know, go back to the territory days, and I feel very blessed that the bulk of my career was during the time that uh, you know before we had cable television, before. Uh, uh, you know, the internet was was the big thing, and the, the individual territories each produced their own uh, television show. And you know, though, if you look at wrestling in in the dictionary, I I haven't looked recently to see what the actual formal uh, uh, description is, but I, I know from reality that it's that it means many things. If you if you're with the Sheik up in Michigan and you talk about wrestling. I mean, it gets wild and woolly. And if you talk about wrestling uh, in the Deep South, especially in Florida, with Eddie Graham, with the Briscoes, with uh, Hiro Matsuda, um, there is a great level of respect for the amateur side of the business and not so much of a um, you know, focus on, on, the, on the entertainment show business side of it. And, and yet they've had that too because – I don't think there's any bigger name that came out of Florida than the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes. Yeah, it's it's amazing. I know I don't want to get too far off subject, but it's amazing that whenever uh, somebody who's a, a, a student of the business that's been in the business talks about the Florida territory, they talk about the you know the how Eddie Graham uh, loved uh, you know amateur wrestling and uh, and employed all these amateur uh, studs you know the Funks the Briscoes. Uh, uh, 
and, and, and you got to count count Harley Race. Harley, when you, Harley. When you're putting that list together, Harley's right up there at the top. But, but then it's funny because then everybody remembers Dusty and says, "Well, it, it almost didn't fit." And it's sort of maybe the reason why he stood out in a territory that was a serious wrestling territory where he was more of a brawler and had the personality and larger than life and amazing interview skills. It might have been the difference of the rest of the territory that really made him into what he became. But if you took the American dream and peeled all that away, underneath of it was uh, a legitimate wrestler that came out of uh, West Texas State that that uh, was uh, he played football. He was a legitimate athlete. Sure, it just was he. He was also uh, uh, had a great persona too. And oftentimes, I think you know that's what people remember most about Dusty Rhodes. So. I don't know if you know the answer to this question or not, but there's always been a bit of a uh, mystery, quote unquote, as to why Harley beat uh, Dory Funk Jr. in 1973 and and uh, was sort of a conduit to Jack Briscoe. I don't know in your travels and your uh, your your learning if you ever found out the true story as to did, did uh, uh, Dory not want to. Dropped the title to uh, to Jack and and how did Harley become a conduit to be in the middle of that? You know, I I remember hearing those stories too, and you know, I don't put a lot of uh, a lot of faith in them. And the one beautiful thing about the wrestling business is there's a lot of stories uh, told, both mixed with truth and with fiction. And uh, you know, I don't know that. Anybody ever drew a line and said, well, you know, I'm the champion and if I lose the belt, it, you know, uh, be selective about who they would lose the title to. Uh, but uh, there is politics in wrestling and I would be less than honest if I didn't uh, acknowledge th that fact. But when you talk about uh, the Briscoes, when you talk about Harley Race, you know, you're talking about the creme de la creme. You're talking about the... Uh, the best of the best. And I was fortunate to, in that era to be able to, uh, I, I, like with Harley Race, I never wrestled against Harley Race. Oh, wow. But I was his, I was his tag team partner on many, many occasions uh, in four-man tags and six-man tags, a lot in Florida and in Japan. So I saw as close short of being able to lock up with him you know what a great, great talent that Harley Race was. As long and when you when you talk names and you talk about Jack Briscoe and and some of these others, you know they they're they are the elite in our business, which is why we hold them such to such a high standard. Absolutely, a thousand percent. Uh, you had mentioned that you uh, uh, became friendly with Dory when uh, in uh, the Kansas City territory. Any stories that? Uh, that stand out to you? Any Harley stories? I know he, he liked to drive fast and live fast and, uh, and, and he, he could pull it off because he's one of the toughest SOBs around. Yeah, he was. And when I was in Kansas city, I probably saw less of Harley in when I was in, I spent a, a year there and, uh, was tag champion for a while with, uh, with Roger Kirby. And it was, uh, uh, you know, and especially going to St. Louis because, you know, Sam Muchnick was one of the premier promoters. And when you talk about premier promoters, you talk about Paul Bosch, but you talk about Sam Muchnick. So 
uh, I'm proud of the fact that uh, I that I worked Houston for Paul Bosch and that I worked St. Louis for Sam Muchnick and had a chance. To, and, and again, uh, Sam was a, a sports writer for the main newspaper. So he was regarded with great legitimacy. And it was a great time there because as a professional wrestler, a lot of times, you know, you're kind of looked down upon. But there, uh, you were held in high regard. You were respected as a professional wrestler because they commanded the, 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 the people that were there by their work in the ring and by the way the promotion uh, worked uh, and operated that, you know, they, they demanded that, that you be respected. And if you weren't someone who was worthy of respect, you weren't there very long. You were there and gone. St. Louis, I think, uh, was sort of like the Madison Square, sort of like Madison Square Garden, where every show you would have people come in from all over the world and all over the, the U.S. to participate, correct? Absolutely. And uh, it's like when the, the Von Erich kids were, uh, you know, when Fritz's kids were, were uh, maturing and he envisioned them being international stars. You know, one way that, of, of doing that was to get, to get them out of, uh, uh, you know, their home territory, which they, you know, they, they were huge stars there. But one of the avenues was to go to St. Louis because if you were uh, a regular, especially in a, in a upper echelon, echelon performer and, and in feature matches in St. Louis, um, that defined, you know, your status in, in the industry. So it was a, it was a big deal to go to St. Louis and to appear there regularly. Were you in the Florida territory when Dusty, uh, briefly won the belt? Ah, I was actually Dusty won the belt. I don't know if it was the first time, um, in Kansas city. Yeah. He won once in Kansas on the, city. I was on the card that night. Yeah. Wow. Tell me about that. Not much I remember other than uh, back in those days, there was a veil of secrecy about when a new champion was crowned. And and so I was as su- surprised as anybody to be there and to see the one, two, three and the, and the belt change hands. And it was kind of a. Uh, kind of special to say, you know, I was there and on the card and, and, and was able to witness it in person. Yeah, here in Florida, they had teased it for so long. They had the last tangle in Tampa at the Tampa Stadium. And, I mean, they, they teased it and teased it and teased it. And, you know, they had DQ finishes and, and over-the-top rope and all kinds of crazy stuff. And I, I'll never forget turning on the TV that Saturday morning. And he had, he had won it. Now, it was short-lived uh, uh, for obvious reasons because, uh, 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 I guess, back then uh, – they wanted more of a, you know, somebody who could be like a baby face or a heel, depending on where they went in the territory. And, uh, and Dusty was obviously, you know, no heel. So, well, here, here's another, uh, perspective on that too, that like, when you look at the American dream, Dusty Rhodes, if and I, I would compare him to say somebody like Andre, the giant, Andre, the giant was never a world champion. Why? You know, because he drew tremendous money as Andre the Giant. The American Dream Dusty Rhodes drew more money of the persona of his character. And he, to be honest with you, he didn't need to, to, uh, 
to have a title belt. That if, if you were looking at the promotion from a big, a lot of times uh, in the business, you know, we tend as, as performers to look upon our own situation and what our role is at any given time, whether it's a card and any given night or in a territory. But if you can step back and look at the big picture, you, you want something with appeal to everybody. And Dusty Rhodes had appeal. He didn't need a title belt. He, the American dream was the, was the just him being the American dream was the, was the drawing card. Sure. And, and it's something like elevating somebody like a Bob Backlund, who Bob didn't have that natural aura about him, that charisma about him, but he had the legitimate amateur background. To, so having him there defending the title um, gave you credibility. So there was a little something for everybody on the card in any given night. Absolutely. I, I could just imagine, though, the conversation with Eddie Graham and the board of directors and Eddie's going, uh, and I have no idea how this happened, but I'm just imagining in my head, Eddie's going, I can't. I, 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 I can't tease this anymore. We need it to happen at least for a short, you know, a short stint. And, uh, you know, because that the chase, you know, the chase, as you know, uh, JJ, you always need the, uh, you always need the guy to get caught at some point. And, uh, and, uh, Harley kept, uh, you know, sneaking away with the belt. Yeah, that's true. And, and, you know, people look at Dusty. And him in particular, and I know we're talking about Harley Race, but but it's hard not to bring Dusty sure. into the conversation they're, too. They're, they're linked. They're linked. Sure, they are. And Dusty, Dusty was uh, he was a personal friend of mine, and somebody that I, I loved him like a brother that I never had. And he was, you know, when you when you step back and say, well, who were the were the guys in the business that were the the, the the cream of the crop, the, the guys that drew no matter where they went or what the circumstances were. And it's, it, it's names like Dusty Rhodes. It was Harley Rhodes, Harley Race. It was Roddy Piper. Roddy Piper's another guy who, who didn't have great size like Andre, and, but he could talk. And there was something about him that, were, that was unique that they are, in the business we used to call it the it factor. And if you were to ask me, well, what do you mean it? Can you can you describe it? And and it's one of the few times where I would be at a loss for words and say, you know, I know what it is, but I just can't explain it to you. <laughs> and I can look at somebody and I could say, hey, the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, he's got it. I can look at Harley Race, he's got it. I look at Jack Briscoe, he's got it. I look at Andre, he's got it. And and anybody that's had any length of time in the business uh, and been around. We'll understand exactly what I'm talking about. Sure. In, in the 70s and 80s, there was really two uh, legitimate, uh, long-standing world champions when the belt meant, uh, you know, it was so important. Like you said, even as a wrestler, you're honored to be at a match where a, the championship changed hands. I never got to, to that to happen until I was in WCW, and, you know, it really wasn't as prestigious anymore. But um, I, I know it, at the first Starcade, um the the 
flag bearer for the 70s and the early 80s, Harley Race, who we're talking about, uh, sort of passed the torch to the flag bearer of the eight, late 80s and early 90s and still rolling around. And that's uh, Ric Flair. And I know that you know both guys well. What are, what are the similarities between the two and what were the differences between the two as far as their reigns as uh, long world heavyweight champions? Well, what they had in common was they both drew a lot of money. And they had different styles, which uh, if you're looking at the big picture from the promotional side of it, you don't want everybody. You, don't, you, you, you only want one Dusty Rhodes. You don't want somebody coming in trying to imitate him or to clone him because that, you hear that phrase, often imitated but never duplicated. Sure. And that applies. It applies to a Dusty Rhodes. It applies to a Roddy Piper. And it applies to a Harley race. Harley race, uh, you know, he wasn't flamboyant. He didn't wear fancy ring jackets or what have you. But he, his, his worth was proved in the ring every time that bell rang. And like I say, I never wrestled against him. But we were tag team partners on many, many occasions. And that was as close as I got to be in the corner with him. And, and the, the biggest test... For anybody, and no matter what your line of work, what your profession is, is the test of time. And every name that I've mentioned, be it Dusty Rhodes, uh, be it Harley Race, uh, they all have, and Ric Flair, Luthez, they've all withstood the test of time. Absolutely, and it's it's amazing how how you don't even realize it that people in in the, in the wrestling business make an impression on 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 other people. I told you this earlier when uh, we spoke earlier today, but I thought I'd tell it for the fans. Um, my dad, when I was a kid on uh, the 70s, used to take early 80s, used to take me to the wrestling matches because I didn't drive. And that was the, you know, that was the when Harley was the, the, the standard bearer, uh, perennial world heavyweight champion. And my dad, uh, not that it matters, but did, wasn't a wrestling fan. He was uh, very serious. He was a psychologist. He would actually bring like psychology today and time magazine. And we'd sit like in the third row and I'd be, you know, watching and, and, and ooing and on. And my dad be reading t- time magazine. And, uh, you know, I never realized that Harley made an impression on him until I got my foot in the door in WCW. And, and you know, I would talk to, obviously, I, moved, I hadn't moved out by then. I was married. But my dad, I would talk to my dad every once in a while. You know, how's it going? I knew I was trying to live my dream. Uh, you know, oh, you know, I've been to this place. We went to this place. We went to Tupelo, Mississippi. We visited Graceland, you know, all the different stuff. And, uh Oh, oh, good, good. You know, just keep working hard. God, you know, oh, you know, uh, dad, this was my first uh, time that I was on television, you know, as a ring announcer. Oh, good. I'm glad that it's getting, you know, they're getting more serious. Never really sold it. You know, he's proud of me, but never really sold it. And one time I said, dad, just got back from a tour and got invited to a barbecue at Harley Race's house. And he goes, what? And I said, yeah, every time the boys are in uh, in Kansas City, Harley and BJ, his wife, God bless her. And I'm, I'm so happy that there, if there's one positive that could be taken out of this, I'm, I would think you would agree that Harley and BJ could be together again because uh, yeah. I don't think he was ever the same uh, after losing her. She uh, was a wonderful woman. Uh, but, um, you know, Harley and BJ would invite everybody over. He'd hey, barbecue a bunch of food, have a few cocktails or beers, and uh, everybody would end up in the the um 
in the uh, basement, he had a big pool room with a big pool table and all his trophies and a bar and all that. And it'd be a nice, you know, uh, afternoon. And then we'd go to the matches. And my dad, I mean, he just couldn't get it. You were at Harley Race's house? He, he, you know, you're friends with Harley. I said, well, I don't know them friends right now. But, you know, he, he, he invites everybody on the tour. And he was very gracious. And, and it, it's funny that you don't realize that this guy watching, reading psychology today while his young uh, son is, 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 is watching the matches, it, it, Harley Race made an impression on him because that's the most over I ever was as far as anything I ever did in the wrestling business was when I got to go with barbecue at Harley's house. That's true, and and those of in the profession knew who who the the, the main players were. Uh, I never wrestled Luthez. Luthez was NWA champion for like a, a twenty five year reign. Yeah, crazy. He, he grew one of the greatest, if not maybe the greatest. You know, we look at Flair because we look at different eras, and uh, you know, I, I draw comparisons like baseball. We think, oh, we look back and we. We revere Babe Ruth because of what he was, but uh, everything changes, and as new people come along, you know we hold them in high high regard. And then there are people who are students and old timers that will say, "Well, you know, was he as good as uh, Babe Ruth?" That kind of thing. And then these are natural comparisons that are good for conversations when we got nothing else to argue about, and uh, <laughs> and no and nobody has a, everybody has an opinion, but nobody has. Uh, an answer that everybody can 100% agree upon. Uh, and it's like for me, like I say, I never wrestled Luthez. And the first time that I met Luthez was in the ring in Amarillo, Texas. And Amarillo had separate dressing rooms on opposite ends of the building. And I was wrestling Dick Murdoch, who was my arch nemesis or he was my arch nemesis or whatever it was but uh dicky made me a lot of money because he was bigger than me tougher than me and he made those people believe that i was a badass and and you know that he would he would he would get me over and the people would look and they would scratch their heads and say my god i I look at Dylan and sometimes I think, you know, I think I can whoop him. I can't believe that, uh, uh, you know, that he has his way with you. And then Murdoch would say, oh, are you implying that I'm not all that tough <laughs> in a bar? And then next thing you know, wham, he'd knock him out and they'd be laid on the floor. And, <laughs> you know, I had a tough reputation in Amarillo because I never went to the bars. I never got myself in a situation where somebody, uh, I let Dick Murdoch, established my reputation for me but talking about luthez uh, you know i had a, a habit of uh, abusing the referees and so i would work a series of matches like with murdoch and then they brought in luthez who they had the reputation though well hey dylan can go around and and intimidate these referees and 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 push them around he's not going to do that with luthez and so uh the dressing rooms are separate. Luthez dressed at the other end of the building. And without telling anybody or saying anything, I'm excited that I'm finally going to meet Luthez. And I, I got in the ring and, um, you know, we worked the match. And finally, I, I was wrestling Murdoch. And, and I, coming off the ropes, I hip-tossed Murdoch and went, followed him down into 
a short arm scissors. Now, a lot of guys say, what's a short arm scissors? Well, if you look in a old tape or something and short arm scissors, I'm sure you could find an example of what it is. And, and so I've got the short arm scissors locked on, on Murdoch, which basically, uh, your arm is through his, his arm bent and you basically cut the circulation off. So the arm goes to sleep. And if you have it on for a while, you know, it can help you have an advantage, uh, with whatever you can do with it in a match. And I remember, having the short arm scissors and I'm cranking on it, I'm cranking on it. And Lou got down on all fours and he's just checking to make sure that I'm not doing anything illegal. And he, he said something that I heard him, but even the people in the front row of ringside couldn't hear what he said. And he looked at me and he said, short arm scissor, huh? I said, kid, that was my specialty. <laughs> and, and, so he was so he was the refer special referee for that match. Yes, yes. And I'm thinking I'm hoping the people didn't see the the expression on my face, but I didn't I I do I let go of this hole and jump up and apologize to <laughs> what do I do? And you know, I, that was I all this thing was racing through my mind and of course uh, uh, the the whole payoff was uh, you know, Murdoch wins the match because I can't abuse or intimidate Luthez. He's going to call it right down the middle and not take any crap from me. And then uh, because I lost the match, obviously, um, I'm going to take a big roundhouse shot at Luthez. He blocks it. Wham! One punch to me, and I'm splatting all fours and laid out, and the people exploded. They got the win, and they got to see Luthez give me my comeuppance. So it That's was... Uh, Simple stories that, uh, you know, I, I can live that moment again right now just as, just like it was yesterday, but it was so simple. Yep. I abused referees. Now I'm in a in a, another match with Murdoch, and we've wrestled each other a thousand times. The only difference is I, I have uh, had some success intimidating referees, but now Luthez, the great Luthez, uh, 25 years world champion is in the ring, and he's not going to take any crap from me. And when I all of a sudden thought, Hmm. I'm going to try and sleep a slip a Sunday punch in on him. He blocks it and cold cocks me. The, then the people got everything. Absolutely. Yeah. It was, it was so simple. It seemed so easy and it was so easy. I, I don't know how it got hard, but that's a whole nother conversation for a whole different podcast. Hey, were you in the office in WWF when Harley came up and, and wrestled up there? Uh, tr I try to remember. I was there for about seven years, but I don't remember. Har I think Harley wasn't there for a sustained time while I was there. But even when I was there in the office, um, I wasn't going to all the towns every, every night. I was, uh, I would go to Madison square garden every third week and I would go to the TV, which was again, every third week. And I would usually, usually their pay-per-views would be like a, on a Sunday and then the TVs would be Monday, Tuesday, and they would do bicycle uh, three weeks of TV. So it was a, a marathon session and took a lot of coordination and a lot of hard work. But, uh, uh, I, you know, you, that's a great thing about this business. I, I had a chance to work for all of the great promoters back in the, uh, in the territory days, uh, you know, whether it was, uh, you know, Sam Muchnick in St. Louis or, you know, working for Eddie Graham in Florida was uh, was a, a big highlight for me, you know, working for Crockett in Charlotte. And it was just a glorious time in the business. And I'm so thankful that I had that opportunity because eventually cable television 
changed everything where the the big show became the 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 studio show with uh which Roddy Piper was on with Gordon Soley out of TBS and it kind of overshadowed the uh the local television programs that were the lifeblood in our business up to that point where they could dictate you know people in like I say in Florida could educate the people to the legitimacy of you know of Briscoe of Matsuda and the amateurs where the Sheik up in Detroit, and, and and again, this is not a knock on the Sheik because that's where I got my start from, but you know it was crazy up there with Sheik and Mighty Igor and Bobo Brazil, and they just it wasn't scientific matches. It was wild, but it was but it was fireballs, quote unquote. It was wrestling and fireballs, yes, <laughs> but it was wrestling. And I'm it not talking was. about I'm not talking about the shot fireballs. Uh, I know what you're talking about yeah, the hey, flamethrowers. Yeah. Um, I, I know we're here to talk about Harley and your memories of, of him and, and the business, um, but I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you as somebody who was so tight with Dusty and and, and who saw Cody grow up. Uh, now uh, he's starting along with uh, the, the Khan family, Tony Khan, uh, and, and some of his friends, uh, all elite wrestling that's going to be, ironically enough, on TNT. Uh uh, in the fall, I'm just wondering your thoughts. You, know, you saw Dusty as a, as a performer, as a promoter, as a booker. Uh, he's done a lot, and as a, you, as a father too. As a father, I'm just he wondering. Was a wonderful, wonderful father. And Michelle was uh, his wife. Was they were a match made in heaven. The the their family, they they were just a wonderful, wonderful family. And I was, you know. We were arch nemesis in terms of, you know, on television and the business, but uh, we were very close. I was very close to Dusty and uh, and with with Michelle, too, and was so happy to see because I watched, like you say, I watched Cody grow up. I watched him grow up from just a, a kid to uh, to being one of uh, the top talents in our in our business now. And 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 because he was around Dusty, Dusty was always more than just his talent as a performer but he looked at the business side of it and that's where uh where cody's uh done well for himself i'm wondering if you got to see the match with him and dustin did not did not that i can remember uh, I, I think I did think I would remember that. Yeah, no, they um they had a match uh, WrestleMania a couple of years ago, and and it it ne- didn't really get over. And so they announced on the first pa- the second pay per view for this new all uh, all elite wrestling company that uh, it was going to be Dustin against um uh against Cody. And I you know my my prediction was. You know, partner versus brother versus brother, partner versus partner, Ricky versus Robert, Hawk versus Animal. <laughs> they, they never really got over, you know. And and I don't know yeah. what the reason is. Maybe it's because they want to see them together. They don't want to see them fight, uh, you know. Uh, but but the, these guys. And if you, I, I'll try to see if I can find it on uh, free uh, YouTube and send it to you. These guys went out there and. You'd be so proud, and I know Dusty was so proud. Tore the place down, and uh, had probably what was the match of the year, uh, if uh, 
And uh, I had to eat crow on my podcast the next week, but it was a happy eating crow. And um, it was funny. You remember Keith Mitchell, right? Who was tight with Dusty and the director yes. for producer for WCW. Um, I texted right after the match because Keith is back with this all elite wrestling. He's going back on TNT, the bastard. Uh, uh, no, I love him. And I said, Dusty would have been so proud. And he and he texted me back and he said, yeah, you know, it was just it was one of those moments. Cody, Cody was in charge of the company. Uh, Dustin came back, got himself in shape, beat his demons. They went out there. They laid it all on the table and uh, and then uh, embraced in the middle of the ring. And I'll try to get you a copy. I'm sure you'd love to see it knowing. And I'm, I'm sure Dustin was looking down with a big smile, too. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Oh, God, yes. Um, for absolutely, I knew know for a fact. Hey, um, before we let you go, and I appreciate your time and your reminiscing. Um, for 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 the average wrestling fan who grew up watching Harley Race but has no idea, uh, you know the real Harley Race. Uh, you know they saw Harley Race, the great, you know God's gift to the greatest gift on God's green earth, as he used to call himself, uh, or something like that. Um, the perennial uh, 1970s, early 80s world champion. For somebody who got to know him behind the scenes, how would you describe him to just an average fan who never got to really do more than maybe shake his hand at a convention? Well, I had the good fortune of being around so many, I don't want to say all, but virtually the who's who of our business. And and certainly, um, uh, you know, Harley is, is right up there at the top. And, uh, you know, Harley... He, you know, everybody remembers, which I do too, that 30 seconds into the match, he, he it was like his uh, signature move to take that big backdrop. And it could be in the ring in St. Louis that would be like landing on this cement floor with no padding. It didn't matter to him. Harley just physically was uh, probably as tough a, a, a person as uh, was, was I was ever around. But he was just, he was a, a great, a great performer. Um and he, he he could drink. Uh, I would make trips with I because I liked Harley, and he he enjoyed being around me. And uh, he would uh, he would if if you rode with Harley and he, it was his car, you know he had like a Trans Am or something. And I, uh, you know, he would drive 100 miles an hour. The cops would pull him over, give him a ticket, and a mile <laughs> down the road he was going 100 again. And the only thing I could do cinch up on the seatbelt and just hope that, uh, that nothing uh, happened that uh, uh, that I would have to really worry about. But he, when I would drive, he would lo- he would love to drive. Period. And if it was my car, you know, he would say, you know, can I drive? And I, you know, yes. And the next question out of his mouth would be. How fast can I go? <laughs> and I and I didn't want him driving my car. I wasn't comfortable in his car when he was going 100 or 125. And I certainly didn't want to have, have that situation in my car. And I would tell her, I'd say, Harley, I uh, appreciate it um, if you not go over 75. And he would get behind the wheel and he would not go over 75. He would respect that and drive your really? car. Yes, absolutely. 75 miles an hour. And a lot of times... You know, he, his capacity for her consumption, he would stop and get one of those styrofoam coolers. There, I, I don't know how much he spent over his career in styrofoam coolers that, that only lasted that one day, but he would get a case is that, of... Is that where Arn got the gimmick from? Yeah, he'd get a case of beer <laughs> and, a, and a couple bags of ice and ice it down. And then if, and if, if, if it was your car, he still wanted to drive. 
and you were the ones that, uh, uh, you know, that were getting the gold ones out and popping them for him. And, you know, I used, you know, the first couple of times I would watch him because I thought, you know, if, if I see him, uh, you know, that I don't feel that he's 100% driving, you know, I don't want him wreck. I don't want him wrecking his car. Wouldn't want him wrecking my sure. car and don't want to have an accident. And he just had a capacity. And the other thing was, I don't know. I can't drink six without uh, before you get to six. <laughs> it might be the answer might be four. Uh, can you pull over at the next, where you see the next tree? And Harley, um, where I would have to stop and and uh, empty my bladder after four, the number for Harley would be like twenty-four, and he would drink and drink, and the empty cans would be piled up, and I and it's like I'm I'm you know. I'm sure he's, it's not like this is a contest that he's trying to prove something. It's just that, um, his bladder was as big and tough as everything else in his body. <laughs> and he would go a long time before he pulled over and stopped. But I, I have some tremendous fond memories of, of being on the road with Harley, uh, uh, mainly in Florida because, uh, the terrible accident that took the life of Bobby Shane Bobby would, had just uh, had a tremendous run in, in Australia, was coming to Florida and was going to be the booker. And, and, you know, that tragic plane crash that took his life. And so oh, what are we going to do? And um, I don't know if it was Eddie's idea. Probably was Eddie. Anyway, it was like, well, Harley was committed to be there. So let's give Harley a shot at the book. And, and everybody was going to try and help him. And Harley uh, not only was a great performer in the ring in terms of being the, one of the greatest champions of all time, but he had the ability to also be a matchmaker and be a booker and put TV together and to, uh, to do that side of the business. Absolutely. So Harley Race, Harley Race was a, a, a complete package for me in terms of the business. Actually, one of my biggest regrets uh, in, as a wrestling fan, there was a couple of times here in Florida that Harley and Dusty teamed up against the, you know, the common enemy. And uh, I never got to go to any of those matches. But I, I think if I had like uh, one like little bucket list thing that I could go back and do, it would have been to see the two mortal enemies uh, that battled uh, so often for the world title. Uh, you know, team up and, and to face the, the, the enemies. So that something I always wish I got to see. I don't know if you ever got to see that, but no, I don't remember, but that's very rare. And I had a similar situation where, uh, I was managing Kendo Nagasaki in Florida and Lawler would go out because he had the reputation of being an international, uh, star, which he was, and he would come to Florida and he would work the big shows like at the Bayfront. And so we did something where um, Kendo Nagasaki, with my assistant, stole the Southern title from from Lawler. And the idea was they were going to show the tape back in Memphis. And then, of course, I was going to say that we weren't going to give him a rematch because he wasn't worthy. He'd have to prove himself again. So it was all part of the buildup to finally have the, the rematch. And the, their business had been down so much that, um, that Eddie Graham – you know, went along and said, Hey, we'll do extra promos on Wednesday when we do it and send the promo up there for you, help you get your territory turned around. And when it was time to do it, 
just Kendo went and I didn't go with him because it would have been another plane ticket and another person to pay. I mean, they were really struggling at that point. But Kendo went up there and just turned that place upside down. And to the point that they didn't realize the impact it was going to have. And so it was like, well, wow, this how because you don't usually see a situation where a business is really down and then all of a sudden it's sold out. It doesn't it doesn't make that kind of a jump. But that's what happened. And so they said, oh, well, God, can we get them back? And and Eddie always had a soft spot for territories that were struggling. And and he would figure a way to get by and be able to send uh, send Kendo up there. And I was doing the promos for him, but I wasn't going so that, uh, you know, that there wasn't that extra expense. But, but eventually it got so big that people were seeing me doing the promo with Kendo standing there. And then they started asking up there, well, when are we going to see Dylan? And so I became somebody that was a, a valuable commodity because they saw me on TV, but they didn't see me in their town. And then eventually when I did go up there, uh, man, we had that thing rocking and rolling. So uh, it's just you know, these stories just remind me of uh, how fortunate I was and what a, what a wonderful, wonderful business that we were only limited by how hard we were able to work and where our imagination would take us. And uh, Memphis was one of the great territories, and uh, I'm so grateful that I did have the chance finally to go to Florida and be around Eddie Graham, who uh, a lot of, you know, and Eddie Graham influenced Bill Watts. He influenced Dusty Rhodes. He influenced a lot of people, Bob Roop. And, you know, to go there and to be, you had to be there and be around him. And Eddie wasn't somebody who, uh, like on a Tuesday night in Tampa, you know, they would work out something because they were always, you know, having to, what are we going to do on TV tomorrow? What are we going to do next week? And the two dressing rooms had separate doors, but you could go, there was a door in the back where you could all get in one room. And the guys doing the match, they, they would let the main event match kind of work it out themselves knowing that everybody had the same uh, end result in mind. In other words, how are we going to take it to the next step? It wasn't about how I can go out there and and be the big star tonight at the expense of somebody else. That's why when, you, when you're down in a place like Florida where you had that depth of talent, that was the mindset that you were there because uh, you didn't have to go and try to, to – uh, promote yourself to the next step at somebody else's expense. You, you were already at your level in the business or you wouldn't even be there. And the guys would sit together and work out a, uh, a match and Eddie would, he would be on a folding chair and, and he'd be, they'd be like in a circle if it was four of them or with a manager, maybe five of them. <clears throat> and Eddie, he would just be sitting there. And at first you would think he wasn't even paying attention to the conversation. But <clears throat> he was very much in tune with what was going on. And slowly you would see Eddie start inching his chair towards it. And finally, when <clears throat> he saw what everybody, you know, had, had come up with and where the conversation had gone, then Eddie was, he was very subtle. He wouldn't say, well, you guys got it all wrong. No, Eddie would say, I just had a thought. What about this? And it would be just some little thing and everybody would look at it and say, yeah, yeah. And then the whole conversation would, would change. And then Eddie would be more involved and it was to being around Eddie for a long time. 
to sit back and watch that thing unfold so many times with so many people and and then you you understood why he had the reputation that he did and why I to this day say that Eddie Graham is the greatest mind in the business that I've ever been around. It's funny that you talk about um talk about you know the guys in the main event working it out cuz they wanted to be you know what's best for business so everybody made money. We had um and you you bless you. We we had um uh Bob Roop and Bob Orton Jr. at the last uh, CWF Fan Fest do an evening uh, Q&A. Uh, they had, hadn't seen each other in about 10, 15 years, so that was cool. And they were talking about their run with uh, the Briscoes uh, in Florida in 76. And they were talking about that every night that they would drive, get every day they'd get on the road and drive to the town. They had no idea what the finish is, but they would always work out a scenario for whatever the finish was that would get, that would keep it alive so they could bring it back the next week. So, all right, if they put us over, this is what we're going to do. And this is how we're going to get these guys, the Briscoe's heat back. If they, if they beat us, this is what we're going to do. And this is how we're going to get our heat back. And they said that they, every night that was their thing. They would drive from town to town and uh, go through all the scenarios of what could happen. And with the goal being to be able to take it back the next week and draw some more money. So it's, it's absolutely you, because you wanted to have the show that night be the absolute best that it could be. And you don't want a situation where you go from an empty house to a full house and then back to an empty house. You, you, you want to build it, but you want to build it and sustain it. And Eddie had a knack for bringing people in there and he would groom people. He would he would help you be the best that you could be. And it was part of my growing experience. And like what happened too was Eddie took a liking to me and, and respected how I looked at the big picture. So Eddie decided to give me, uh, uh, I think it was Tallahassee, which ran on a Friday night up in the North part of the state. And Mike Graham would uh, be down in Fort Lauderdale that also ran on Friday night. I think Mike Graham probably had a lady friend or something down there. He wanted to be in that town every week. And I was happy to go to Tallahassee knowing that it was my chance. That I was, this was my town to go in there. And Eddie, Eddie would help me in the beginning, and, and he would talk through what he thought would be good, what we could come back with. And then it eventually got to the point where Eddie said to me, he said, I want to come to Tallahassee and he's and he, and he featured me on top and he said, I want to come to Tallahassee and he said, I want to work a program with you. And it's like, I was dumbfounded for Eddie to say this and that he came up there and, and laid out a three week program, the end, end of which that I stole something from him and, and he eased off and just took me up to it to another level. I learned so much in Florida that I could probably write a book if I could remember it all about what a fabulous experience it was, what a genius Eddie Graham was, how the people, it, it, and he attracted people who were of, of that, that mind frame thinking much the same way. And it, and it's like you've hinted to earlier, it wasn't about, okay, what can I do this week to make me bigger than what I was last week or make me better? It was, what can we do tonight to increase the house next week. 
So if that meant I had to get beat somehow and then do something after, then that's what we worked out. And nobody, nobody had an ego that was so great that it overshadowed what was good for the town and good for the business. It was a wonderful, wonderful time to be in the business. And, and, uh, I, uh, all the things that I ever heard about Eddie Graham were true and then some. He was he was just he was and Eddie Graham had a seventh grade education. That's crazy. But I never he, heard but that. he was a genius. He was a genius at crowd psychology. Wow. And uh I learned so much from him and it was a, a wonderful time in the in my career to be there. Well, wow, we got a little bit off topic, but I could, you know, I could sit for hours and then hear you tell uh, your the stories and the memories and 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 you tell it with such passion because you appreciated it, you 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 loved it, uh, and I always and I respect that so much. Um, so be- what, before we let you go, and I appreciate jumping on at the last minute, we switched everything around. Uh, if you want any last words about Harley and as we uh, remember his career and his life. Harley was like an eight-time world champion, which that statement in and of itself tells how, uh, at what level he was in, in the business. He was a great, great champion and such a credit to our business. And it's like the, the greats in the business, and we talk about Dusty, we talk about the Briscoes. You know, I just was so fortunate to have interacted with these people that they brought out the best in me and made me a better performer just being around them. And they elevated me. And, uh, it was a sad day today to, to hear that, uh, that we had lost Harley. I know that he, he, uh, you know, had, had, had some health issues recently. And so it didn't come as a total shock, but you never expect that phone call to say that, you know, we lost one of the greatest today, and you and you almost knew before they said who it was that it was Harley, and the the, the certainly the people that were in the business that worked with him that were around him know what a true icon he was and what a great champion he was, and the people the fans that bought the tickets knew that about him too. But it's great when uh, you know when everybody at all levels. Um, knows that uh, you know when you start talking about you know the the icons and I always say on one hand you know when you start naming names the, the that circle gets really narrowed down and when I look at that on one hand Harley Race is one of the names on there absolutely a thousand percent uh hey thank you so much hey you're going to be down at uh, the next CW Fan Fest in November we'll talk a little bit more about that as we get closer, but I'm uh, looking forward to seeing you again and, uh, and, uh, and, and we'll have to get together and, uh, and work out. Always love, come, always love coming back to Florida. Yeah, Most beautiful for sure. Women in the world and uh, <laughs> some of the greatest wrestling in the world and uh, the, the wrestling fans in Florida, there are none better than them. Absolutely. A thousand percent. Hey, uh, God bless you. Thank you for jumping on and, uh, and stay safe, stay healthy. Thank you, David. And again, uh, we, sh- we should all say a prayer tonight for Harley and his family. Maybe forever rest in peace. want to profoundly thank J.J. Dillon and Kevin Sullivan for hopping on at a moment's notice and talking about uh, what's not easy to talk about only hours after learning 
that Harley Race has passed and uh, telling some stories. And, and J.J. even got into more of the, about the territorial days and why that's important and related to Harley Race in so many ways. Is at, as I said earlier, at the height of the territories uh, in the late 70s, early 80s, uh, Harley was the touring champion that would come into town depending on which tor- territory you were either once a month or every couple times a year. And, you know, basically all the storylines were built around, uh, you know, you had your storylines to, to keep your territory going, but all the storylines were built around who's going to get the title shot, who's going to get the chance to wrestle for the NWA Heavyweight Championship, the most prestigious championship. It didn't change hands very often, so it meant something. And... um and and that was what each territory built around. Whether it was six months, they built feuds. People would turn on each other for a chance to be able to to, to get a world title opportunity, not even the uh, you know guaranteed world title, just a world title opportunity. So uh, and Harley, you know, is so synonymous with with all that. Uh, uh, so again, it's an honor to have known him. It's an honor to have watched him as a fan. And as a person involved in the business, and uh, I thank so Kevin Sullivan and JJ Dillon so much. And uh, like JJ said, just a prayer for Harley's family. Hope uh, Harley, you're with BJ, and I hope you guys are happy. And you have one more tangle with Dusty this time upstairs. God bless you. <laughs>